Amen. So, I have a riddle for you. Here's the riddle. What is a house but is not a house? What is a house but is not a house? What do you think the answer to this is? (laughs) Well, there are actually several answers to this. And the first one that we're going to talk about is the sukkah, the one right out there. And the second and the third answer, they'll have to wait for a little while. We find ourselves right now in the middle of Sukkot, which is, of course, the festival of booths or tents. It, uh, it actually reminds me of, of a time when I was in a tent. The year was 2012, and I was performing in the Asheville Music Festival, which was a, a Messianic Jewish musical and art gathering. And uh, so we were camping in the, the, with real tents in the hills of rural North Carolina. And the first night before the concert, it was great, right? But then the floods came, the floods. And it rained harder than I'd ever seen before, even harder than uh, it's uh, maybe going to rain this weekend. Uh, and uh, one of our tents was not quite cutting it. We had two tents. So uh, Mr. Jason Rudy, he transferred all of our stuff into the one tent that was working, and, and he put it all in the middle, in the dry part, uh, to protect all of our things. But after that, you know, it was kind of hard to find a dry spot, you know, to sleep on, um, because we were down to the one tent. So uh, I decided that, um, well, you know, since my parents were staying at a nearby hotel, maybe I would uh, camp with them instead. So, uh, and I would take the bus every morning back to the, uh, back to the festival. Yes, I admit it, I was a softie, and uh, for the remainder of the festival, I was just, I was unable to, to cope, to, to be vulnerable to the elements. I guess you could say it was intense. No? All right. It's okay. Well, <laughs> but that's what camping is all about, right? It's, it's reminding us of how vulnerable we really are, how dependent we are on God. And that is what Sukkot is all about. A time to sit, right, and have a meal in a makeshift house, which is not really a house, and a time to reflect on our wandering in the desert, wandering for 40 years. You know, Abraham, for all his wealth and cattle and prosperity, he wandered in a tent, right? He heard the call to leave his home and family and live as a nomad, for his entire life in a tent. And Isaac and Jacob, they lived in tents. Our patriarchs survived in temporary dwelling places, including one place called Sukkot. That's right, there's a place called Sukkot. In Genesis 33, chapter chapter 33, verse 17, this is what we find. Do we have it? 
Do we have it up there? Yes, very nice. Thank you. So, Yaakov, that's Jacob, went on to Sukkot, where he built himself a house and put up shelters for his cattle. That is why the place is called Sukkot, or shelters. They weren't that creative about their naming places back then, I guess. So, this is, uh, Jacob has just reconciled with his brother Esau, right? And his first destination is a place he calls Sukkot because of the temporary shelters that he builds. And Sukkot, the same place, was the Israelites' first destination out of Egypt. As it is written in Exodus 12, verse 37, the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot. The place named for temporary shelters. This is the first place Jacob goes after reconciling with Esau. It's the Israelites' first stop out of Egypt, out of slavery, after walking through the Red Sea, Sukkot. In other words, the temporary shelter is an adequate shelter from the storm because Hashem brings them there. It's adequate because of God. And this is the riddle of it. It's a shelter, but it's only just enough of a shelter. It's a home, but what kind of home is that for a person to live in? We are, all of us, more dependent on God than we realize. Where would Jacob be without Hashem? Under the wrath of Esau, no doubt. And where would the Israelites be without Hashem? Still under the wrath of Pharaoh. And where, my friends, where would we be without Hashem? It says in the book of Daniel that he holds our very breath, our very breath in his hands. You know, we humans, we're not so great. We're not so mighty that we can always protect ourselves that we can always provide for ourselves and deliver ourselves. But all salvation, all protection, all deliverance comes from Hashem. The riddle is that God is strong in our weakness. When we are weak, He is strong. When we are vulnerable in a makeshift tent, He is shown to be God. When we are strong and mighty and puffed up, that's, that's when we're weak. For God raises up the humble, but he humbles the proud. So which one do we want to be? Let's allow the tent of Sukkot, the vulnerable makeshift home, to humble us, to remember that he is our strength. He is the faithful one. Just as my earthly parents rescued me from the storm while I was in my tent in North Carolina, so too our Heavenly Father rescues us from the storms of life when we feel all we have is a sukkah. Let Hashem be your sukkah, your shelter during Sukkot. And this brings us to the second answer of the riddle. What is a house but is not a house? In other words, there's another sukkah we can think about during Sukkot. And this actually is my favorite sukkah of all time. Let's see if we have a picture of it. Ah, very nice. 
This is, of course, me and my beautiful bride under our chuppah on our wedding day. So why is the sukkah like a chuppah? Is it just, did I just find them, they, they sounded similar, and I thought, oh, that would be good to talk about. Well, like the fall holidays, there's a lot of, a lot of stress, right? A lot of preparation before you go under that shelter, just like, just like a wedding, right? And, uh, and many couples, they fast before they get married, like the fast of Yom Kippur. The week before I got married, I was... I was beside myself. I was so excited and anxious. And it's, it's kind of like the conflicting feelings we get during the fall holidays. It's, it's a moment in time that we're expectant and nervous. And we're, it's a time of, of preparation. And then you come under the shelter. And when I was under the chuppah with my bride just a few months ago, I felt many things. I felt love, I felt shalom, and I felt unspeakable joy. The preparation time was over. Yom Kippur was over. And we were in the shelter of God's joy together. And a little while after that, we got to express our joy with dancing and feasting, just like we will do next Saturday when we celebrate Simchat Torah. We will dance with and celebrate God's word. So Sukkot is a festival of joy, just like the joy of a wedding. The joy of a couple under the chuppah. Can you picture that? Why do I say that Sukkot is a season of joy? Well, there's a very interesting Sukkot story in Scripture. And this takes place in Nehemiah chapter 8. So we're going to pick up the story in verse 2. And this is what it says. Ezra, who was a contemporary of Nehemiah, the Kohen, brought the Torah before the assembly, which consisted of men, women, and all children old enough to understand it. It was the first day of the seventh month. That is, it was Rosh Hashanah. Facing the open space in front of the water gate, he read it from We read from it to the men, the women, and the children who could understand from early morning until noon, and all the people listened attentively to the scroll of the Torah. So I thought based on this, uh, I could just keep reading, you know, reading from the Torah from early morning till noon, and I know you will all listen attentively, right? Right? So in other words, on Rosh Hashanah, Ezra starts reading from the Torah, But what's the background of this story? The Jews have just returned from the exile, and they have rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And now they're getting back. They're getting back into the Torah, just as we are doing as a community. Speaking of which, how many of you have started the reading program that I shared with you during the month of Elul? Raise your hand if you've taken a crack at it. A few more? Oh, great. Awesome. Okay, so the Jews of Nehemiah's time, they were having a revival of Torah, and they were discovering things. They were discovering things. In verse 9, we find this. Maybe. Yes. Nehemiah, the Tirshaat, Tirsha, the Tirsha, that one. Yes. 
And Ezra the Kohen and the Torah teacher and the Leviim, the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, today is consecrated to Adonai your God. Don't be mournful, don't weep. For all the people had been weeping when they heard the words of the Torah. Then he said to them, go eat rich food, drink sweet drinks, and send portions to those who can't provide for themselves. For today is consecrated to our Lord. Don't be sad because the joy of Adonai is your strength. It seems like in those times, they had the best oneg in town, right? And oneg, of course, means joy, right? So this was a time uh, when the people are responding to the Torah with conviction, right? Has that ever happened to you? You're reading, reading something and the Lord convicts you and says, you know, this, this doesn't please me. And, and suddenly they're aware that they've fallen short of God's word. But he tells them to rejoice, rejoice in the word and not to cry because this is a season of rejoicing because to draw near to Hashem is a good thing because God's joy is their strength. Rather than focusing on the sinfulness of the past, God's joy enables us to rejoice in his love right now. And this joy leads the Jews in the days of Nehemiah to refine the festival we're celebrating right now. They find it again. And this is what it says in verses 13 through 18. On the second day, the heads of the father's clans of all the people assembled with the Kohanim and Leviim before Ezra, the Torah teacher, to study the words of the Torah. And they found written in the Torah that Adonai had ordered through Moshe that the people of Israel were to live in Sukkot during the feast of the seventh month, and that they were to announce and pass the word in all their cities and in Jerusalem, go out to the mountains and collect branches of olives, wild olives, myrtles, palms, and other leafy trees. Does that sound familiar? Right? That's the lulav. To make Sukkot as prescribed. So the people went out, brought them, and made Sukkot for themselves. They made tents or shelters, each one on the roof of his house, also in their courtyards, in the courtyards of the house of God, in the open space by the water gate, in the open space by the Ephraim gate. If you, can you imagine? This hasn't been celebrated for years, and all of a sudden, they're reading in the Torah, and they're like, oh, we got to make tents, and these little tents start sprouting up all over. Isn't that exciting? For the people of Israel had not done this since the days of Yeshua, son of Nun. That's Joshua. So there was very great joy. Also, they read every day from the first day until the last day in the scroll of the Torah of God. They kept the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. Are we experiencing the joy of Sukkot? After 40 days of introspection and repentance, culminating in meeting with the king on his throne, let us rejoice now. Let us rejoice in God's protection, God's grace, God's sovereignty, God's majesty. Let us continue to dig in to the Torah, just as the Jews did in the days of Nehemiah. But let us not do so with 
sullen countenances, focusing on our failings. Oh, I'm such a bad person. But let us rejoice in the Torah and the mitzvah of Sukkot, giving thanks to God's covering, his covering over us. Once when I was sitting in the benches during worship, I looked over at my wife, Sonia, as I often do, and my heart just swelled with love. And, and then I heard the Lord say to me, the way that you're looking at her is the way that I look at all of these people. And I looked at the congregation of worshipers. I looked at my brothers and sisters, and I saw for a moment how Hashem sees you. And if I look with love at my precious and beautiful wife, then kol vachomer, how much more does Hashem look upon you? How much more does he look upon you with love? Beloved, the sukkah is also a chupa. Not only do we rejoice in the season of Sukkot, but we know that Hashem, the Lord, our groom, rejoices over us under the canopy. And this brings us to the third answer to the riddle. What is a house but is not a house? What is the third sukkah to answer the riddle of Sukkot? The third sukkah is Yeshua, the Messiah. Why do I say this? Because the fullness of God tabernacled with us, dwelt with us. He was a real flesh and blood human, just like us, just like us, but without sin. My wife uh, recently showed me a bunch of black and white pictures that were colorized. They, were added, they added color to them, such as this one here. If we can look at that. That, of course, is Abraham Lincoln, right? And when we see pictures of, of famous people like that, we usually see them as they are on the left, right? And it looks historical. It looks kind of distant. But look at the one on the right. Doesn't that look like someone that you could maybe pass by on the street? Abraham Lincoln was a real person. He was flesh and blood. And that's what my wife was saying to me. She was like, this brings history alive. You can imagine seeing Abraham Lincoln just like that. And Sukkot, it causes us to remember Yeshua in the same way. As the picture on the right rather than the picture on the left. During Yeshua's ministry, that was a time when God dwelt with us as a real person, as real as you or me. And Sukkot is a time to remember Yeshua's humanness along with his divinity. He was merely a shelter, a fragile human, unglorified. But yet, there was one moment, there was a moment in time when there were a few people that got to see him, got to see Yeshua in his glorified state, not as a makeshift sukkah like you or me, but a beautiful house of God. As it turns out, there were three people who got to see this, described in Mark 9, verses 2 through 6. After six days, Yeshua took Peter, 
James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured. He was changed before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Yeshua. And Peter said to Yeshua, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. This is an occasion when the full glory of Yeshua was apparent on earth, when this weak and temporary shelter, temporary sukkah, gave way to the full glory and light of the permanent house of God. You know, Peter's comment about the shelters is interesting as well. The Greek word that he uses is skene, which is the same word used for the sukkah in the Septuagint. In other words, Peter wants to put up three sukkot for the three prophets. Now, in the text, it says that Peter didn't know what to say or that he was talking like a crazy person. Perhaps a sukkah was not the appropriate parallel at this time for the glorified divine Yeshua. The carpenter turned rabbi. He could dwell in a sukkah. But the risen Messiah, the glorified, transfigured Yeshua, he could not. Peter wants a tent, a sukkah, for Moses, for Elijah, and for Yeshua. But it was not the right time for such a thing. So, we have seen that in the riddle of Sukkot, the house that is not a house represents the sukkah, the chuppah, and Yeshua. And we have seen that Sukkot is about God's provision and protection because God sheltered the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert. For when we are weak and rely on him to protect us, then we are strong in the Lord and his might. And we have seen that Sukkot is all about joy, the joy of leaving behind the solemnness of Yom Kippur, the joy of returning to the life-giving Torah, the joy of a groom rejoicing over his radiant bride under the wedding canopy, the same joy that God has when he gazes upon us, we who are his radiant bride. And we have seen that Sukkot is about how Yeshua took on the frailty of a human body, how he became weak so that we might be strong. And how are we to see him in this season, colorized and in the flesh? Let us picture Yeshua during this season of Sukkot. And as we fellowship with him, let us remember that he was once just like us. He was even born as a vulnerable baby. He suffered loss and rejection and even painful physical death so that we might live. Let's pray.